0: I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Before we start talking about this week's episode with the New York Wine and Culinary Center, I just want to give a big thanks to everybody for going out and voting in the City Newspaper's Best of poll. Thanks to all of your efforts, Food About Town won for Best Podcast in Rochester this year. I had a great time at the City Newspaper event, and thanks to all of you, Food About Town got recognized. And it's really a testament to the fans of the Rochester food and drink scene, and for the listeners of this podcast, showing that you're dedicated. I really appreciate the assistance, and sharing this out with your friends is only going to help even more. We've got some fascinating guests coming up, and I'm really interested to see what the podcast becomes over the next year. And thanks to your dedication, I'm only expecting the best. So thanks again, and enjoy this week's episode. In episode 58 of Food About Town Podcast, I talked with Andrew Chambers and Jeffrey McLean, two chefs from the New York Wine and Culinary Center, about all sorts of things that they do there. We talked about some really interesting events they have coming up, and we also talked about you know, local sourcing, talked about what the Culinary Center does, all the different sorts of classes. It's, it's a fascinating place if you haven't been there. I highly recommend making the drive out to Canandaigua to check it out. Not only do they have the feast upstairs, they have a food truck. I mean, such an interesting suite of events you can do. My wife even did her bachelorette party there. They did handmade pasta. I mean, just just so much interesting stuff. And almost everything is local sourced, so you can feel good about going. And you know, it's a nonprofit. They have a lot of uh, supportive classes for everybody. So make sure you check out nywcc.com. And before we start, I'm going to list out a couple events that they didn't mention on the podcast since this went out a couple weeks after we recorded. First one I want to mention is one that we did mention at the end of the podcast, but one I wanted to highlight again since it's coming up next Saturday. It's the New York State Craft Brewers Holiday Release. This is a big local local beer party. I think they mentioned it was over 30 local brewers. There's a VIP hour. Make sure to buy those tickets. It's always best to buy the VIP tickets for these kind of events. So I'm planning on going. So if you want to come come say hi, I'm planning on being there. So uh, look forward to that event. These brewery events are always fantastic. Um, the next one that you want to look at is the following Monday. Um, my buddy Paul Guglielmo does a sauce making class. So you can go check that out. That's on Monday, November 7th. And you know, the, the rest of the month, there's a lot of interesting classes and a pizza and wing workshop on November 16th. Who doesn't want to make that kind of stuff? I mean, I love making pizza, and it's fascinating to try making it from top to bottom. And even to stuff as simple as knife skills, Don't forget New York Quant Culinary Center has everything you're looking for event wise. So thanks for tuning in this week. And if you're enjoying this episode, please share it out on social media and let your friends know that you're listening to the Food About Town podcast. Thank you and enjoy. you guys
1: absolutely yeah yeah nice for upstate
0: yeah beautiful fall day and and you know it's actually a great thing to say upstate we're talking to two of the two of the chefs from the new york wine and culinary center why don't you guys introduce yourselves real quick
2: uh i'm andrew chambers the executive chef of the culinary center and uh we take care of you
1: know do things with wine dinners and looking forward to talking about what we do beautiful and uh, I'm Jeffrey McLean. I'm the director of education, the lead culinary instructor at the center for our education department. Uh, we work with some of the uh, local uh, colleges in the area and do a lot of public programming featuring New York State agriculture and craft beverages. Beautiful,
0: and you know, it, it's it's something I can't avoid. A beautiful, a beautiful radio
1: voice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> it, it's always it's always great. I. Every so often you run across people who have experience in doing radio and doing um doing other things and it's you know some people are i was talking to one of my one of my friends at one of the coffee places all he did was he would lean back in his chair and he would talk quietly away from the microphone and it was very difficult
1: oh okay yeah
0: and it's nice to have nice to have somebody who's oh. ready and perfect on the mic technique
1: thank you very much
0: <laughs> so um, what sort of precipitated this was? I've had the had the pleasure of going to uh, three of the New York Wine and Culinary's, Culinary Centers tasting dinners, um, and I really enjoyed the time there. The ones I've went to were I went to one with uh, Roarbox, Roarbox, yeah. I went to one with um, what was what was the winery? It was um,
2: the vegan Red, Red Tail Red Ridge tail rich, whole vegan vegan dinner,
0: which was fantastic. And I did one more, which I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but um I'll remember part way through. It's but black button. Black button, black that's button. right. Which was which is also fantastic. And you know what? I've I've really enjoyed sitting through tasting dinners. You know, sometimes tasting dinners can be a bit tedious. Absolutely. Um if you go through five and seven courses sure. or however long sure. they are. They can be very tedious, but I think what I enjoyed a lot about the ones you guys were doing was that They were paced really well and themed really well. Thank you. So... You guys both work on those on the menus for those kind of dinners, or are those all Andrew?
1: No, actually, that's uh, that's something that that Chef Andrew comes up with. We have we have two distinct culinary departments, okay, um, and and we we work together on procurement and and making sure that we have New York's finest ingredients,
0: which we'll talk about later,
1: for exactly. sure. exactly. But beyond that, uh, the the, uh, the the distinct separation is that uh, Chef Andrew's kitchen handles all of uh, well upstairs bistro and all on-site and off-site catering as well as the food truck and any special dinners that come out and the department that I oversee is really education related and and everything Andrew does is is education as well but specifically we sit them down in a classroom style setting and we we teach them the ABCs and 1 two threes.
0: beautiful so let's focus on let's focus on Mr. Andrew over here sure. um so why don't you talk a little about the dinners? When, when did you guys start doing them?
2: Uh, we've we've been doing the dinners, you know, I've been in the center for about eight years and I've I've been the executive chef for about two and a half. But well, we've done the dinners since every since I can remember. It just become more and more in popularity as you know, as time progresses, people are in the area become more susceptible, wanting to experience things on those lines. So Yes,
0: yeah, so, I mean we've so the ones I the ones I went to you know they had you know some similarities, obviously it's centered around a beverage we had we've had spirits, had wine, we had beer what what are the challenges of coming up with a tasting menu dinner that really highlights you know you know the name of the of the dinner you know it's a it's a beer pairing it's a spirits pairing what's what are the different challenges you found in that
2: well i always those are always fun for me it's like fun challenge you know you're trying to you're always looking to do try to keep it different and interesting and two, like when we meet with the breweries or the wineries or the distilleries, we're sitting down and we're trying through their portfolio or, you know, some stuff that they want to, you know, showcase for the evening. So uh you know, we're tasting and whenever we taste, I always you know, try to think you know, I was New York State mindset, you know, being at the colony center for so long, it's kind of ingrained it seems like at this point. So knowing what's available, what's coming from the farmers, from the relationships we built. Uh, you know, you taste you taste the wine, you smell the wine, you kind of dissect it or the beer, what have you. We dissect it down, and like, all right, I'm pulling these smells out of it. I can kind of pair these type of spices or uh, herbs or food items with that, and then different preparations. So it's kind of like the mindset I talk about in the in the dinners. Like you can complement the food with the wine together or the beverage. You can compare. Uh, contrast them, and then you can use one of the other to cut through. Like if you're eating spicy food, maybe uh, uh, like a Riesling or something to cut through with the acidic, making your mouth water, kind of cut through the spice of the food mm-hmm. along those lines.
0: Yeah, and I, what I found interesting sitting through them was when you decided to contrast, when you decided to, to cut, and it's one of the things I look for when I do when I do restaurant reviews as well is, Absolutely. you know, a great dish has things that balance itself out. <laughs> And you know, utilizing a separate ingredient. Mm-hmm. And this is I think something people forget when the when the beverage becomes an ingredient in the dish. Not only if it's utilized in the dish, which right. I know sometimes you would do in the like the beer pairing, I think you did a like a braise in one of them or no, something we, we, like um, that.
2: Uh, uh brine brine the protein and some of the beer. Right. And then uh braise so the accent as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that makes a lot of sense. It turns into an ingredient in the dish, but the actual drinking of it turns into an ingredient which is Sometimes the challenging part, and I think from a palate perspective, can be really educational. Absolutely. Learning how to pair, learning how to contrast.
2: You try, you try, I always tell people, you know, take a sip of the beverage, um, you know, get the mouth feel, get the flavors, and then, uh, you know, swallow. Try a bite of the food, you know, everything together, and then, you know, get a sense for the food. Try to see the two experiences, and then let them come together. You take a, you know, a bite of the food, kind of. Get it all together, and then you take a sip of the beverage and then see how the experience is elevated throughout you know with each other together <laughs>
0: <clears throat> so so you have a bunch of different areas, so you were talking about the upstairs bistro yeah. we were talking about the pairing dinners uh the food truck, which is relatively new as well that opened what uh a uh, year that, and a half ago
2: last uh, started last summer, yeah, yeah. the beginning of last summer
0: yeah, I remember when it first came out i was i think it was out at the um out at the uh, C-MAC, cmac out yeah. there, which yeah. i don 't think it's actually cmac anymore, is it? no, no. Yet. yeah, is it still yeah, called yeah, cmac? Yeah. I always forget what it's called I
1: think it's the uh Marvin Sands Performing Arts Center is the official name okay cmac has some uh, that's their acronym for something okay. I will starts start. with constellation i'm guessing probably yeah. at this point, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: but I remember seeing it out there one of the first times, and you know it seemed like a bit of a seemed like a departure for what was you know an educational center spurring out for a food truck um how did you find that experience you know trying that out
2: uh trying that out you know it's it a great experience you know trying to uh come up with a menu that we can still sh- showcase the new york state products and ingredients coming to us throughout the various farmers and vendors and purveyors throughout the state and come up with a menu that can really change as the season changes as well and that's um that's part of it is you know people aren't always susceptible like you know i had this uh two months ago there's something with asparagus on it and now we're into <laughs> now we're into September, and, so, Asparagus is long gone, so yeah. you know, trying to keep it similar, but you know, always changing up with the seasons as
1: well.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's a great educational point as well.
1: Well, it, exactly. And and when the when the food truck was implemented, it was implemented not so much as a, um, as a as a departure, but an extension. It allowed us to pick our message up and take it anywhere, and say, you know, this is what New York is about. And, uh, and, and Chef Andrew's done a great job with the menu on the truck to really uh, reach out to the regionality and the seasonality of the food in the area. and that So that's an extension of what we do, do as a not-for-profit is get out there and tell people.
0: Well, let, let's let point her off now because I think that's a, this is a great time to talk about it. We're in a transitional period in the year right now. Uh, we're recording this late September. This should be out next week. So we're in that beautiful harvest period of upstate New York. Sure. Mm-hmm. This is our you know, some of our biggest bounty, you know, we've had a, a rough summer with the drought and I know some of the harvests are going to be maybe a bit lower this year, but this is the exciting time in upstate New York.
2: Mm-hmm. It was an exciting time. You got, you know, we're just coming out of, these, you know, tomatoes, melons, things on those lines. And now we're moving into more of the, the winter squashes and uh, leafy greens and cows and Swiss chard things, things. Uh, cabbages, of course, New York state is one of the largest cabbage producers in the country. And,
0: Which um, I think people forget. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to take just a step back even farther. New York State is an amazing agricultural state.
1: Third to fifth in the nation for fresh produce. Right. Yeah, any given year.
0: And, you know, people forget we're in, we're in either big cities or mm-hmm. we forget that no more than half an hour away, we're in the middle of nowhere. Well, we're in farm exactly. country.
1: You're following yeah. tractors around on the roads. Yeah. <laughs> Very quickly. Yeah, and, and and Chef and I are both from the Finger Lakes region. Originally, are, you, are you
0: both, you're you both from there? Yeah, yeah.
1: Where uh, where did you grow up? Uh, so I was born and, and raised in, in the southern tier, the southern end of the lakes. Okay. And, uh, and you're kind of in the middle of the lakes, right? Kind of in the middle. Yeah.
2: I uh, grew up out towards Cuca Lake, mm-hmm. you know, uh, grew up starting off, parents had vineyards. They grew fresh fruit and things along those lines. And then eventually, for the tr- us, tr- they decided <laughs> to buy a restaurant, and that's kind of how I got pulled into the whole
0: well I mean that's really when you say you're you grew up in the finger lakes it's kind of the kind of the heart of the agricultural center of absolutely. upstate new york
1: absolutely yeah the uh the so the state's got twenty five percent of its land masses dedicated to agriculture wow and the majority of that is in central New york right in the finger lakes region uh and it you know it's uh, it it's it's great the the area that I live in it's it's all farmland except for my house uh and it's it's wonderful yeah
0: yeah, and and having it all around you, it kind of, it must be inspiring at least in some way or another to, to yeah. let you say, "Hey, we can see, we can feel the seasons changing." You know, here here in the city, sometimes you forget, Sure. you know, until it's snowing. <laughs> right, yeah. we're, we're still getting eighty degree days, and you see yeah. the leaves changing, but you don't you don't see it quite as actively as the crops are growing, as everything's around you. Uh, you kind of a little disconnected from it, and and the yeah. fact that we can go we can go to Wegmans and buy any kind of produce all year round.
1: Well, and that's that's something that has been instilled in us for about four generations, and it 's common in rural areas as well is to to have that sense of entitlement that we can walk into a grocery store and get whatever we want whatever we want it um, that's that's difficult to overcome it 's difficult to overcome that convenience uh, but once you start to work within the parameters of seasonality, it changes everything
0: well, not only that, and you know coming up with menus right and it is that i think this is a big point of education that That since you guys are getting people from all different levels of food experience, Mm -hmm. you know, you're getting people, we'll we'll talk about the classes, but you're getting people there who are food, you know, food nerds are really into it, that they're going to these tasting dinners and they're really analyzing. But you're getting people who are just trying to learn about, hey, we can make pasta from scratch. Right. Or we can, you know, this is how to, you know, I mean, so many different classes there, I can't even think of all of them offhand.
1: Yeah, there's uh, in, in, in any given <laughs> point, we keep we keep it around 40 to 50 different types of subject matter. So, you know, the lessons are always there, uh, but we change the menus up, we change the delivery, we've got uh, about seven different chef instructors that are mostly chefs in the field that come in in their off time to work for us and teach these classes. And they're and their basic... <sighs> classes that can be applied anywhere as you you would reference pasta making or, or pizza making which is one of our most popular classes
0: i mean i can see why i one i love making pizza certainly uh making pizza is fascinating because you can be really casual about it sure you know you can go buy a pre-made crust and just mm. put it in the oven and make your own sauce or something but when you do the whole thing from scratch oh god it's, it's so it's so yeah.
1: satisfying well yeah and, and to know that Every ingredient on the pizza that you you bought locally, you bought from your neighbors, you grew it yourself. Um, we we work with um, the, was the the East Hill uh, um, Gabe, our bread guy, Gabe um, yeah. the East Hill. Um- Rochester Folk Art Guild. Oh right, yeah, Folk Art Guild, and and so I mean, Gabe comes in and he's he's working and making bread with flour from the wheat that he grew himself. Oh, that's awesome. You know, so that's that's a very powerful feeling to have to have that control and not. You either spend time in the kitchen or you spend money in the kitchen. It's yeah. it's one or the other. And if you take the time to spend the time, it's worth it every time.
0: Absolutely. And like I was talking about, it's it. So you have multiple different stages of education. We're talking sure. about the basics: how to cook things, how sure. to showing people hey you can make your own pizza dough mm-hmm. you can make mm-hmm. bread you can make make pasta and then on your side you know when when you're coming up with these menus for the bistro and for the for the food truck bistro and for the mm-hmm. tasting menus transitioning into seasonality right and showcasing that hey eating what's fresh now is the right way to do this mm-hmm. right how how do you balance the fact that it's one it's just doing it because it's the right thing to do because it tastes better and how do you balance the educational part of that on the side.
2: We balance with, um, I just be able to showcase, you know, what's available, how to utilize, you know, products maybe you're not familiar with, like kohlrabi or, you know, celeriac, things like that. And, mm. and different ways, stuff you might find at the farmer's market. You're like, oh, okay, now next time I see celeriac, I'll know, you know, maybe I can try this or try that. Um, different ragus and stuff like that. Now we're in the fall season, ragus and castellas. Um, and we work with over 87 different farmers, producers uh, throughout the state. And so that's almost seems like it's a full-time job in itself, you know, staying with the farmers, in touch with everyone. We got this coming in, we got this coming in. But well, something that's really been helpful is working with uh, uh, Headwater Food Hub. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, they're really one fascinating guys. I've had really oh, nice yeah. conversations with they're them. Great. And it's a great service that they're providing. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you can get local foods sourced through Farmers, that maybe they only do one thing. They only do right. one thing.
2: Great. You specialize.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to it's hard to be a farmer that does everything. There's not many of them around anymore. Yeah, it's a very small no. selection of yep. complete farms. You know, someone like Phil Munson from Fisher Hill Farms. Yeah, he's doing a lot of stuff, but there's very few because it's it's a hard life. I mean, you're you're dedicated to really making the really optimizing your land
1: optimizing your land and utilizing for sure well and and, and one thing you see in, especially on larger scale we, we talked about cabbage earlier is you know the, those farmers have to be forecasters mm. and they have to say I'm gonna grow this because I know I can sell this but it's really a guessing game until uh, until every farm adapts a CSA policy uh, you know it's it's always a bit of a challenge uh, you know we've all seen you know acres and acres of cabbage go unharvested because there was no market Market for it, and what a shame! Exactly, what a shame! Yeah. What a shame when
0: we have people who could be eating that. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> that, it makes me want to talk about vegetarianism, but we're not going. We're not going to go. We're not going to <laughs> dive into that um, hot button issue right now. I guess.
1: Well, but but I, I want to stick my toe in it just for a second, please, because I, I, I have to say that over the past couple of years, we're, the, the education department at the center listens to uh, the consumers that come in and take our classes, and we had to adjust our curriculum to accommodate the amount of vegetarians, vegans, gluten-free, and lactose-free individuals to a point where all of our classes are now naturally gluten-free, unless there's a specific pasta or bread in it. Uh, And we have an entire suite of uh, vegan and vegetarian classes, including uh, this this diet called the four-leaf diet. And I haven't it, heard of that. This is uh, this is based on a a, a book uh, called the China Study written by T. Colin Campbell.
0: I've heard of that. I've heard of that, but I haven't heard the four.
1: Yep. So the the China Study uh, uh, was was um, compiled, and that information was extracted, and a program was developed called Four Leaf, which is eighty percent plant based vegan, uh, with no added fats or added salts in any way. Um, so it's it's a bit tricky to cook that way, uh, but. When we entered into it from an education standpoint, you know, we, we had to educate ourselves. So we, we held back and, and made sure that we developed curriculum that spoke to the cause. And now those classes are, are very well attended, 66% capacity, and they run a couple times a month. That's and, great. And they're very well received. So whether it's it's a lifestyle people agree with or not, uh, the reality of it is we all do better if uh, if it's uh, if it's have more heavily plant based.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I think that's I think that's one of those things that at this point has been fairly well proven. Sure. And other than the fact that we're stubborn and we right. we just enjoy it because I mean meat's delicious. The meat tastes good. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. But you know, it's it's been proven that it's. Detrimental to to health, to sure. to the environment, everything. But you know, we're all doing it still. Yeah. And we, we can all we can all try. We can all reduce. And I think it's that um the way people would call it, that conscientious omnivore eating.
1: It's it's all about moderation. Yeah. You know, everybody, you know, I and, and I feel much that same way. I eat more veggies than I used to because I know it's better <laughs> for me and and I'm getting old. Um but at the same time, I love a piece of steak, but I'm not putting down a three-pound porterhouse like I did when I was 21. Exactly. You know, it's different now.
0: Well, and also, and I think this is, you know, for, for those that are trying to be conscientious, you're eating smaller cuts. Mm-hmm. You're eating the off cuts. Mm-hmm. Because if we're butchering whole animals, not everybody can eat a New York strip every day. Exactly um
2: i'm kind of like speaking on with uh using the off cuts and things like that uh, like i mentioned earlier the uh working with headwater food hub mm. um we at the center of adapted uh we go through a half a cow a week uh, full animal utilization whether it's you know pork beef chicken duck lamb you know you name it whatever but um you know and with the culinary center and the restaurants will sell like the the steaks and the cuts in the food truck, we braise off, you know, like the brisket and the short ribs, things on those lines to feature in the food truck. We do different grinds and showcase the different products in the in the hands on kitchen. So we're we're able to utilize, you know, be able to use that full animal. So, you know, cow only has two tenderloins. Exactly. You you can't always have tenderloin on the menu.
0: (laughs) And how do you best utilize that when you're when you're using a whole animal? Mm -hmm. How do you feature that? Do you use it for your tasting dinner? Do you use it for you know a carpaccio where you use less of it, but you get all the flavor
1: exactly you know,
0: how, how do you balance it out
1: yeah and that's and that's something that that we t- we take that same message that chef Andrew is applying and bringing it into the education world And we you know we, we sit individuals down and say, listen, you need to understand uh, how to cook a chicken breast, but you need to understand that that method is different than how you cook a chicken thigh oh, and yeah. we do the same with beef and with pork and and so to educate individuals on how to use what's available to them instead of being recipe Centric, where you know they're at the grocery store checking off their list, and they're two items short, so they're not making that meal. <laughs> That's what we're trying to get past: is that that recipeless culture, going back to just knowing how to cook what you have available.
0: Yeah, and there's there's so many ways to utilize produce, and there's so many simple ways. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I recall, and some some of the great things that you see when a, when you're talking about vegetarian food is true highlighting of the ingredients. Mm-hmm. Right. It's easy to forget when you're, it's a meat, it's a starch, and it's some vegetable off to the side. Right, right. That focusing on the vegetables, and I thought the vegan dinner that you did, uh, Chef Andrew, was a great example of this. Was really highlighting the vegetables,
2: highlighting the vegetables, utilizing only you know three or four components in each dish. Really let the let them speak for themselves. You know, uh, that was that followed the four leaf whole food plant based diet. So. It was no salt, there's no added oil or sugars, and, you know, utilizing in those practices to try to, you know, let the, let the product speak for itself and showcase and let it pair, you know, in addition to some herbs maybe or a couple spices and let it pair with the with the beverage with, uh, you know, Red Tal Ridge.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's a restraint can be one of the more complex things to use. Mm-hmm. And
2: when, I mean, when you're working with, you know, a wonderful product, you know, like the state has to offer, it's... Let it speak for itself. So you don't have to do a whole lot to it, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think in that case, it was a... And something that I get frustrated with when I go out and I specifically eat vegetarian or vegan right. is that there's so many substitutes. Mm. There's so many... Um, and it's not to say... I mean, there's there's places out there that do a good job of substitutes. I mean, Red Fern's a great example. They mm. cook 100% vegan. But they use a lot of substitutes. They're trying to replicate macaroni and cheese, a steak right, sandwich. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with it. I've had some really good food there. I like the place. My preference is to eat vegetables as vegetables. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it's delicious, let's make that vegetable as delicious as it can Absolutely. be. And, you know, really highlight that this is, this is New York State.
1: Sure. I, I, I feel similarly in that, you know, when it comes to substituting <laughs> – in, in a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle it really you know it it's not about recreating a hamburger that's not animal-based. If you want a hamburger, have a hamburger. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's about doing what Chef Andrew does and taking the, those products and saying, look, you've never enjoyed butternut squash like this. You've never had fennel treated this way. Enjoy that experience for what it is. And so I'm always very hesitant to use textured soy proteins or seitans or even tofus uh, in a lot of dishes unless they're designed for that purpose. But if we're using seitan to... Um, to replicate beef strips, eh, you know, it's not going to taste like beef. I mean, yeah. Not to mention, it's it's been processed. The
2: whole processing it sure. goes through it to to get it in the form that it's in. I mean, yeah. it's, it's reworked, it's processed, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it goes through a lot of changes to get to get the way.
1: Yeah, not particularly point. natural anymore.
0: Right. Yeah. And then when you're when you're using products, it lets you take a step back and say, hey, if I wanted a if I wanted a savory mm-hmm. umami filled sandwich. Right. What what do I actually want? I don't. I'm not eating beef anymore. What do I really want there? Can I take Can I take a mushroom and make it as umami filled as I can? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. You figure mushrooms, uh, marinated beets, marinated mushrooms, things along those lines, you know, and that's gonna it's gonna offer you, you know, fill that fill that void that you're looking for.
0: And then you have they have amazing techniques like you have fermentation. You have
2: the kimchi. You we know, we've been doing a lot of kimchi at the center. Yeah, with, uh, like the, the talk on the cabbage production. Yeah. You know?
0: What, what a great usage of a product right. that you can naturally ferment, you can get more, you know, macrobiotics, you can, you know, build extra nutrition into this product by doing sure. fermentation mm-hmm. and also derive some fantastic flavor.
2: Absolutely. And fermentation as well. You figure like, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with kombucha. Mm, a, absolutely. would yeah, mm-hmm. work Been I've been making this stuff for years, you know, just. In a bucket under my desk, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, just recently we started working with uh, you know for personal consumption. But uh, recently we started working with uh, Fairport Brewing, and they're doing some nice stuff that we we put on in the tasting room as well as upstairs. And you get the full probiotics, and you kind of get that aspect of the craft craft beverage world as well. You know,
0: I mean the craft beverage scene right now in Upstate New York is just so dynamic. I mean, obviously we're we're a major wine region now, right? And we have been for a while. But it's kind of exploded onto the national consciousness,
2: national national level, mm-hmm. with you know national recognition. And I mean, the New York Wine and Grape Foundation, I feel you know definitely played a big role. Now Jim Trees Ice in advocating throughout the throughout the country and you know worldwide to to help us get to where we are. And it's almost like a tipping point. The the wine, the craft beverage, even the food in Upstate New York area. It's like um, it's been a progression, like slow progression. But I think now we're to that tipping point, mm-hmm. so to speak. So it's gonna
0: yeah, I tend to, to agree on. with you. Yeah, that's where right. I think we're right at that tipping point,
1: right on the cusp of. Well, yeah, and it, and if you look at if you look at graphs um, and 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 look at the actual numbers, what you see is that where we are right now with uh, beers and uh, other craft beverages is where we were with wine in 1981, which was right after the initial Farm Winery Act was signed, and suddenly everybody went wait we can start a winery we and we don't have to go through a difficult process that you know they they loosened regulations about five five maybe five or six years ago on the uh, on on the restrictions for craft beverage in general including distilleries and cideries and all that and since then it's exploding uh, it it looks that you know, my my prediction is that the breweries in the state will surpass the wineries within the next five years or so, as far as n- numerically. Um, everybody re- is open in a brewery.
0: It's stunning. I mean, just in Monroe County, I think we're up to fifteen now. Sure, but it seems like every other week you're seeing yeah. you're seeing news of a new place.
2: Absolutely.
1: Well, and I, and I think there that this has to there, there's a little bit of a slippery slope. Because what's going to happen, in from what I can see, is you're going to see this explosion. But then you're going to see a lot of these, as as all businesses do, you're going to see a number of them drop off. Because just because we open a brewery or just because someone may choose to open a restaurant doesn't mean they're putting out a product that fills a niche. So if you're stacking five or 600 breweries up in the state... There's a lot of similarity there and so I think, you know, the 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 strong will survive and the good products will will move forward. 10 years from now it's going to be a really interesting scene in this state.
0: I think so. I mean, cuz right now what we're getting, we're getting a lot of neighborhood places. We're getting places that are serving beer for their for their general vicinity. Then you got the bigger boys who are trying to play at a larger level like Three Heads yeah. or Swift Waters playing a little bit larger. But even then, I mean, we're just getting into other than three heads and Genesee, just mm-hmm. getting into people bottling now. Sure. Scratching the surface. Obviously, sure. rock brewing is doing it, but mm-hmm. there's very little bottling by the craft brewers in our in our area right now.
1: Well, and I think a lot of that is, you know, it's it's uh, of course they're going to have distribution issues, but there there's there seems to be three tiers of breweries in the state. You have the 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 brewers that are making their product and selling it out front, similar to the pubs in England. Mm-hmm. Then we have the, the market that's, that's making it and kegging it and selling it to restaurants. And then you have those few that are saying, all right, we're going to put this on a bottle and we're going to put it on a shelf somewhere. And, and I think as the business becomes more refined over the years, we'll see more release to the public um, by you know, the select few. That, that know they appeal to the masses. But sometimes the best, the best restaurant or, or the best brewery or whatever it might be isn't the one that appeals to the masses. It's the one that appeals to uh, you know, a loyal following.
0: Yeah, and I think there's also so many opportunities for collaboration. I had a um, uh, couple podcasts ago, I had guys on from Knucklehead Craft Brewing mm-hmm. and from Apple Country Spirits, right. and they're doing a 20% collaboration yeah. beer, which is, one, fantastic but two, completely unique. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. what a great idea that they're doing something off base or doing something that nobody else is doing locally. And those kind of things that are true right. local products fascinate me.
1: Well, and in, 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 speaking of local, you know, another one of the differentiations you hear quite frequently in the breweries is, is, is maybe it's a local business but are their products local? Are the hops coming in from out of state or, you know, the grains? And a lot of people forget that New York State was the number one hop producer in the country up until Prohibition. And so, if you look around, if you you know, if you drive around the the agriculture regions right now, you see, uh, you know, I call them uh, telephone uh, grapevines uh, because <laughs> you know they're they're twelve, they're fifteen feet tall, and and these are hop farms coming back online, yeah, uh, that where they weren't growing them before, they're growing them now because they are they're a cash crop. I mean, they're you know, and and we're going to see more products harvested directly from New York State to be turned into New York spirits and beers and craft beverages.
0: Yeah, and especially and. You know, a great thing to talk about is a lot of the places opening right now are craft, you know, New York state bound to Mm -hmm. be Mm -hmm. use an X amount of product from New York state. And that goes up over the years. Sure. It starts off low and then over the years you have to use more and more. And it's sort of a, you're right, it's going to spur that growth. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be farming hops right now?
1: Exactly, exactly. I, I've known, I, I know a couple uh, cattlemen in the southern tier that have switched over to uh, to, to crop farming, like hops. And uh, even from an agricultural standpoint, they're finding that instead of harvesting uh, cattle, it's easier to raise and harvest goats. Yeah. And so you see, a, you, there's really a big dynamic shifting.
0: Oh, I mean, w- what a great thing that would be in of itself. Sure. I mean, goats are... Really efficient, creature. efficient.
2: They're sustainable. You figure goats, lambs, rabbits, things on those lines, and we play with things like that on the on the menu at the at the calling center. What's well, an know, interesting idea because
0: it's really underused proteins in our area. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you figure
2: goat is the largest uh, utilized protein in the world, and you come to America and you got you got right. beef or you know, along those lines, and it's it's just from a sustainable aspect, from a utilization aspect. Mm-hmm. It's
1: why not.
0: I mean goat's delicious
1: oh it's it's absolutely wonderful and and I love um so we work closely with finger lakes community college and and nothing's better than having you know a bunch of college culinary freshmen walking into the back as chef Andrews got a skinned goat laying up on the uh, table and he's he's breaking it <laughs> down because truly you know there's not much you can't use and and very little product. Ever leaves that kitchen without being used, utilized, strained, boiled, scraped. I mean, it's it's really unbelievable. You can use everything on the hog except the squeal. Yeah,
0: (laughs) and even that you can probably cook and make some gelatin out of it. (laughs) Um, And that's you know, it's that's another great thing when you see full utilization. When you go to when you see somebody making what turns out to be classic products now, like head cheese. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you see um, you know stews made out of that stuff. I mean, what great richness you can get from cooking off of a head,
1: right? Well, it, and it's it's about understanding what you have and the best way to maximize it. You know, can you can you, uh, you know, can you skin a, a pork's head and cut off the meat and turn it into a quick steak? Absolutely not. Um, but <laughs> you know, treated properly it 's the best you know we, we one thing i 've always enjoyed is after the hog roasts at the center for whatever event we may be doing. Everybody out there is fighting over the shoulder and the tenderloin and the loin and Once that thing comes inside, somebody 's got a knife and we 're going after the cheek meat mm-hmm. uh, you know and, and the stuff that 's really good I, I have a belief that the the best food never leaves the kitchen. The chefs know all the best stuff we serve you know what what the public wants and and if we could just inspire them to appreciate. What the really good stuff is, then then we're changing lives.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you have a pig head, Chef Andrew, when it's sitting in there, yeah. Do you go for the cheeks, or what? What do you go for on the pig head?
1: I grab for the uh,
2: go for the crustines and go for right for right, right for the cap. Yeah, yeah. You grab a spoon and go some gherkins. You can't go wrong.
0: That's yeah, right. you know what? Where I go is the I go behind the eyeballs.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And I mean, the, there's so much deliciousness on a pig's head. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. from from the jowls to the cheeks to the like behind the eyeballs to all around, it's just and something that in a lot of places you can grab for almost nothing.
1: Sure, cause, sure. Cause people are
0: throwing them away.
1: Absolutely. Well, and you know that that term awful generated the term awful. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, and but they just you know they don't understand um, if if you have the talent and you have the knowledge, uh, there's you know much better parts to enjoy than a tenderloin. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean tenderloins are boring.
1: Right. I mean, you go to the restaurant; they're going to smother them with, uh, with blue
2: cheese or some sort of thick buttery sauce, or hollandaise, or a Bernays or something on those mm-hmm. lines to give it flavor. There's no fat in the tenderloin. <laughs> I always say fat's flavor, and you know, if I go up to eat and order a steak, I'm definitely going for the, uh, for the ribeye. You know? Oh yeah. Fattier well, even bibeye. then, yeah, I don't.
0: Yeah. I'd rather buy a. I'd rather buy a sirloin.
2: Right on. Yep. You
0: know, it's a used cut. It's mm-hmm, got. Yeah? It's got some. It's got beef flavor to it.
2: It's got the beef. Yeah. Um, exactly.
0: And you know what? I think even getting to the more interesting beef cuts nowadays. You've got your bavettes. You've got your mm. tri-tips. I mean, tri-tip's super popular on the West Coast. Absolutely. Which, again, that's a weird regional thing. Yeah. We don't eat tri-tip here.
1: No, it's, uh, you know, we if you would have walked into a grocery store five years ago on the East Coast, nobody would have known what you're talking about. Now they know and just tell you they don't have it.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> out there, that's... That is the steak, is is the tri-tip. That's what everybody serves. Sure. You know, in San Francisco or Seattle, it's tri-tip. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want finding out about, you know, Bavette and uh, oyster steaks.
2: Oyster steaks, mm-hmm.
0: What yeah. a amazing. Uh, I saw it first at McCann's, and it's the, it was one of the best steaks I've ever cooked. It was so simple. And, you know, it's kind of like a, like a radial skirt steak. Yeah, yeah. And again, skirt steak—that's probably my other favorite. It's just I can't
2: go wrong. No. so
0: much flavor. Oh, no, it's so good. And especially if you like, you meat rare, you season it like crazy. Yep. You throw it on hot,
2: uh, hot both sides, thirty seconds. You're pulling off. Let it rest for a minute. Oh, and you're good to go. That's so it. Good. You know. Oh. That speaking of McCann's Meats with uh, with Headwater, you know they're, they've started their project with. Uh, you know, they're getting the cat beef from uh, autumn harvest. Goes to uh, gets broken down. Hadwater takes it to McCann's, and then they got their dry aging program. I've been featuring the dry aged, uh, dry aged, like uh, rib steaks and things along those lines on the menu for the tasting menus, some special feature, uh, you know, private dinners, things on those lines. Oh, that's Just beautiful. Fifty day, seventy five day Ooh. dry aged, yeah, dry aged rib steak. You that's
0: got to you know. be really exciting because. It's um still you know, it's weird how rare it is. You know, you'll see it as specials, but very few people even serve dry age stuff here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and it's such a such an interesting change in the flavors.
2: The change of the flavor, it turns buttery, earthy,
1: you know, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. The uh <clears throat> the other day. Uh, uh Chef had a, a, a tied up dried rib in the back and, and it it was magnificent. I mean just to look at it. Um it it has similar shape obviously, but the color's different, the texture's different, uh and, and to just touch it, it 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 feels like a stick of butter. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then you use, it's it's almost when when I've bought it I felt that pressure that I really needed to cook it properly.
1: Yeah, you don't want to you know, you know <laughs> that's not when you want to come back to the kitchen. No, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there goes fifty dollars.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is why I mean personally I've started doing I've started doing sous vide for bigger cuts mm, mm-hmm, but when, when mm-hmm. I do it here and and actually I, what I wanted to bring up was you you'd mentioned about telling people about cooking things like chicken breast one of the harder things to cook properly. Least I think so. It's it's so unforgiving. What's what's the way that what's the way that you guys teach people to cook something like a chicken breast, which is super low in fat, easy to dry out? How do you guys teach people how to cook that?
2: Well, what we do is just pan sear. You know, you get real hot pan, crisp up the the skin side. You know, flip it over. You know, maybe lay some herbs on top, garlic, shallot, a couple pats of butter, baste it a little bit. You finish in the oven for you know, depending on the thickness of the bird or the weight of the bird.
1: You know just go go from there yeah know. it's 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 hot and fast all day, I mean you know, just a couple of minutes you know per side, and then get it in the oven so it's out of direct contact with the super high heat, let it cook through to the center and and you know I think a lot of one one thing we see and and because the amount of public we see in our classes, you get to see just about all the common errors made in a home kitchen um and people are afraid of flame, they're afraid of really hot pans. Um, you know, and, and to take a walk down a, a restaurant line, and and to see each of those twenty five thousand BTU burners just ripping, and all that's on there is a six inch aluminum pan. People don't appreciate how hot you really have to cook things. Well,
0: and I think that's the other thing is people think you have to buy all this fancy, all these fancy pans and everything. You go to any restaurant, yeah. The only thing you see are these relatively thin, small aluminum
1: pans. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well an aluminum's a really good heat conductor. Um, you know, it's just below gold and copper as far as heat goes. And so you see these people go out and, and spend seven hundred bucks on a set of stainless steel pans and it's exactly what they shouldn't be cooking in. You know, if it's a triply or, or something like that, that's different. But an aluminum pan gets just about everything done. You just keep the acids out of it and and you're pretty solid.
0: Yeah. And you also see you don't see nonstick. It is no, God, just no. there's it's yeah. just <laughs>
1: How much Teflon do you want in your
2: food? That's that's how those orders come in. The demonstrations we do, you know, a lot of demonstrations and bus groups and things on those lines coming through. Always asking, you know, what do you think of the Teflon? I'm like, eh, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, and you have to remember, it is a plastic.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and it is, and and you know, I think most kitchens have a little stack of Teflon. It's it's where the eggs go. Yeah. You know, uh, but that's about it. You know everything Sunday, else. Sunday brunch. Yeah, Sunday brunch. Exactly. <laughs> if you're running an omelet station, you want two dozen Teflon pans. Yeah. But you know a lot of the newer ceramics that are coming out, and I don't have. I, I've got limited exposure with a lot of them. It's okay. It's okay. Exactly. It's okay. It's still about proper. It, it's about proper technique. You got to heat your pan before you put the oil in it. You got to put enough oil in it to do the job, but not too much. And and, and so if people just kind of you know if they get the rules, it makes the game easier to play.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to transition. I mean, we, we can talk for forever on technique and, (laughs) Uh and all these interesting things. I like to talk a little bit about the New York Wine and Culinary Center itself, because a lot of us, you know, now we, we've been there, you know, like my wife did her bachelorette party there. I've Mm -hmm. been to some dinners, you know, and I'm sure we'll do another class at some point because it's just great education and fun stuff. Um, Let's talk about the, the center itself when, when do you guys know when it started?
1: Sure yeah actually we just uh, we just finished our 10th anniversary uh, this past uh, August uh, was uh, was the finishing of our tenth year and we we started as a collaboration. so we're a we're a 501c3 not-for-profit. Our mission is to educate the public about New York agriculture and New York uh, wine and craft beverage. Uh, we were uh, brought together by Constellation Brands and Wegmans, as well as the New York Wine and Grape Foundation, which is the lobbying agency and the representative agency for the grape growers, uh, okay. as well as uh, RIT. They all came together and said, "We're local. We we love New York, and we want to put something on the map." So they built the center, and initially it was it was meant to more be more of a a tourist hub, you know. So if you came to upstate New York on a bus, the first place you went was the Wine and Culinary Center, and Mm. we certainly see a lot of that. But what we see as well is the residents come there to find out about their state. They're proud of what we do in the state, and so they come to see it in action. And so we draw, uh, the majority of our draw is from Buffalo to Albany, and uh, uh, the Corning Elmire, the Southern Tier area, up to about Watertown. That's that's kind of our central geographic draw. And then, you know, tour buses and groups and, and, and things like that come in. We do see quite a business from Canada as well. A lot of people from Toronto come over.
0: Sure. So, I mean, you guys have both been there for a while, right?
1: Yeah. I, uh, Chef's been there, would you say, about eight years or so. Eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just a little over five at this point. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you've seen it. You've seen it grow over the last. I mean, yeah. eight five years. I mean, it's yeah. Has to be pretty drastic, right?
2: Yeah, it changes. It's every day something you know it's transitioning and changing. It seems like it's you know just
1: nonstop.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little about the fa- facility too. Sure. I mean, it is a beautiful building.
1: It's a million dollar view of, of Canandaigua Lake. It's, it's absolutely the best. A couple of years ago, we put bigger windows in the bistro upstairs so that now when you're sitting inside, it feels like you're, it's just you and the lake. It's, it's wonderful. And, and the facility is positioned in an area that, uh, you know, there's the Canandaigua uh, Inn on the lake behind us, so we have lodging nearby. We're right off of Main Street. Our address is 800 South Main Street in Canada. So we're right by the pier, and with the new project going in the uh, Pinnacle North project,
0: which is just a huge development,
1: and and it's going up faster than Lego blocks. I mean, they're, they're, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's absolutely. They've got. Uh, they're it's almost, ambitious. <clears throat> they're almost done with phase one, which wow. is going to be sixty-five or seventy condos, with the first floor being retail and things like that, and that's going to continue for half a mile down the uh, the north end of the lake. So, over the next. I think it's a three-year project, maybe. Three-year project. Maybe. Um, you know, we're going to have six hundred new neighbors wow. uh, taking up residence, and and so the the area itself is explosively growing. Kennebec was always been a suburb of Rochester, how a lot of people think of it, uh, and and that's accurate. Uh, and it and it just keeps going. We have the the highest land values around that lake of anywhere in the country. Hmm. So it big stuff to come.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that to be has to be exciting too because. A lot of people consider Canandaigua a bit of a seasonal town.
1: You would think so, yeah. And I would say that one thing with, with the center, what we've seen is, is a balancing of the season. Because we have so many facets within the building, there's really no slow time. Uh, because you come out of tourist season, you come out of summer. And Labor Day, when everybody else around town is rolling up the sidewalks, we shift gears, we go into public uh, classes and and corporate events and private events, as well as our partnership with the community college locally. Uh, So we simply just change demographics is all we do. We're we're as this past week and this week coming up, we're as busy as we would have been in mid-July.
0: Which has to be really nice when you're working somewhere where you can transition into different things, right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. It's like every day, you know, something different. One day you're working on menus for the bistro, the next day you're you're you know out at a farm checking out, you know, meeting with some farmers or out of the food hub or along those lines. Uh, the next day you're in contact with some colleges, you know, getting some internships lined up for the coming season, things along those lines. So it's doing demonstrations. It's always always changing, always a different different days so it's
0: yeah one the first thing i remember when i walked in for the first time you know the building itself is pretty when you walk in and you look at those educational centers Mm -hmm. those are stunning kitchens
1: yeah the uh so as you walk in the building the first one you see is our wine spectator amphitheater yeah Uh, and we just we're 80 percent complete with uh an hd uh, audio-visual upgrade in that room. Beautiful. So the monitors were upgraded about five years ago, so they're HD. But everything else, including the cameras and the behind-the-scenes bones of the audio-video equipment, has all been revamped. So now one of our, one of our more exciting and, and engaging beverage classes is to come in and do dinner at a movie. So you might see Casablanca, you might see the movie Chef. Uh, but you come in, and, and uh, Chef Andrew and his kitchen prepares uh, a menu to complement the movie.
0: Oh, that's a, what a great idea! Yeah. I mean, I remember growing up there was a show on t b s it was like that it was like mm-hmm. dinner in a movie mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah and I always loved that and the idea of pairing it all together in one place has to be fantastic
2: yeah, it's always a fun time and we try to you know pair the you know come up with different dishes that relate to the movie and uh utilize different products and uh showcase that as well as pair of make you know, beverage pairings you know mm-hmm. Beer will pair with this. This wine will pair with first course, second course, third course. And we'll kind of give people the experience to you know bring it all together. Enjoy a relaxing evening. That
0: sounds awesome. That's that's a really dynamic date night Yeah, it's, what it is.
1: It's a lot of fun. And now you get to enjoy the food and the movie in and, and 5.1 surround. So oh, it's pretty cool.
0: That sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm actually really looking forward to checking that out. That's, that'll be a great time.
1: Yeah, and it, it, you know, that started on kind of a whim because that that room is typically targeted towards you know very serious international um, wine study and certification. Mm. So the the room itself had had an air of over sophistication. Like if you come in <laughs> here, you've got to, you know you're getting a degree in something. And so we pulled it back a little bit and threw out a bucket of popcorn and said, let's use that overhead projector to you know, to show a movie. And uh, they've been very popular.
0: And what a great idea to use that space more. I mean, sure. utilizing a great space mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to its to its highest ability. Again, that's something we talked about with with the products of upstate New York. Sure. Mm-hmm. Why not use your space? I mean, you have a nonprofit. let's let's use it let's let's, use let's it. keep people involved, yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, if the doors are shut it, and, and for us it's because we are a not for profit it's not about you know lining our pockets it's not about huge return on investment, it's about being a service to the community, so we give them good New York state food and beverages, and we show them a movie along the way,
0: yeah, yeah, well, I think that was also a good point that you brought up. You guys do certifications there as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We um, So uh, WSET, the Wine Spirit Education Trust, you can be certified for there. Uh, we work with the um, Soma- Court of Masters Sommeliers. Sommelier Program. Uh, I think we're about to, to uh, institute a Cicerone training program so you can be a oh. professional beer snob, which I think is pretty cool. Oh, that's, that's – yeah. I mean, that's only becoming more popular right now is – as exactly as the market grows. And so, yeah. we're the, the one thing I've seen about the center, and I think shuffle back me on this, is we don't, the, the center as a whole is very diligent in their tasks. They do nothing quickly. Mm. Um, they're very, you know, they're, they're very methodical in their processes. Absolutely. And so, we wait for the market to kind of rise up to us, and then we respond with, with what they're looking for. Um, you know it's great to be cutting edge sometimes, but <laughs> sometimes it's best just to just to hold back a little bit and and let things unfold. Yeah. Like, for example, three years ago, you put something like rabbit or go on the menu.
2: Like looking at you like you're crazy. Oh sure. Now you put you know a nice goat stew or something on those lines, roasted rabbit. People are like, okay, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's you know just really seeing
1: you know the taste change and transition. I remember it was about a year ago. So we wasn't, it was probably six months ago that so we we're the um local Rotarians weekly meeting spot. Okay. And uh I was I was standing outside their lunch room where they go in uh, to our private dining room to get their lunch and I heard a conversation going on. Someone was saying, Oh look, that's that's fried chicken. And you know, a couple of people picked it up and then someone exclaimed rather loudly, No, that's fried rabbit. And the one guy picks it up and he says, Well, it's delicious. And he walked out of the room and took his rabbit with him. (laughs) So it was the idea that, you know, that uh, you have to introduce people to these things. You have to show them. You just have to do it.
0: Well, that's, that's, I mean, what a great, what a great thing to see.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And when somebody's like, oh, okay,
1: is it good? Is it good? Exactly. Does it taste good? Yeah. You know, I think when it, when it comes to food, uh, there was a study done by, by Cornell University in the late nineties that showed that the average American household as a family only cooks 30 meals over the entire lifespan of the household. Right, so ta- and we all know somebody who has taco Tuesday, yeah you know and and with, it's not like they're making rabbit tacos, right they're right. making ground beef seasoned with a packet of whatever, and so if we just expand it a little bit and take away the tunnel vision of of what good food really is and recognize that you know that goat is the number one harvested mammal in in the world it's you know and and to to put it in perspective and get away from that you know the great American diet is is something that is everything but you know great
0: well, well not only that i mean what a great opportunity i mean we can say here hey taco tuesday's boring if you do it that way but what a great opportunity tacos are an amazing vessel sure. for diversity in products when yeah. it comes to proteins yeah. and vegetables
2: absolutely and it's it's fun to see people you know transition and try try something new that maybe they wouldn't be be apt to try it or they see it or say oh, i'll give it a whirl and, and it, Terms believers, essentially. Yeah. Um, something, too, that's uh, fun that we've been doing is uh, the the farm dinners. We've been working with some local farms that we work with and um, pairing up with wineries or breweries and utilizing the food truck not only is to go around, you know, sell sandwiches and this and the other thing, but we're doing five, six, seven, eight-course dinners on farms. Oh, that's awesome. set up, you know, 40, 50 people at a at one of the farms. And everything that for the dinners, majority of the products are right from the farm, whether it's, you know, the produce, the fruits, the proteins, chicken, duck, turkey, you know, what have you, pork, and um, it's kind of fun, you know, give people a tour of the farm and see them how to, you see everything come together. Yeah,
0: that's that's what a great way to engage people, too, going and actually seeing a farm in action. Sure. I remember um, we were on vacation in the Adirondacks, and we had an off day, and we just drove, we were just driving around, and we found a farm that was doing... You know, it's a big. They were doing a big CSA, but this was mm-hmm. like the work day. Okay. And you show up, and you go out. You can buy stuff either from there. They're cooking a meal for the people who are out working. It was a huge fall harvest, and what a, what a great sight of all the people coming together to work on the farm, get a great meal, and really learn about hey, what what are farms nowadays? Because they're so different from what they were not that long ago.
1: Well, and they're so few as well. Yeah. You know, to have a, a family farm or even a you know, you see a lot of cooperative farms now, where a couple families are coming together to run it as a business. Um, it, it's wonderful, but you know, we're at twenty five percent of the farms that we were a hundred years ago, and yet, as a culture, we're in that same place. You know, if you look at nineteen sixteen and draw a correlation between where we are now, it's the same thing. It was local, it was seasonal. You were buying from people you knew, or you were growing it yourself.
0: Didn't have a choice, exactly.
1: And so we've kind of come back to where we need to be, but now we need to see the growth in the farming community once again we need to see more people not not selling the land off to developers and staying strong and saying we're well, you know maybe I'm not going to farm this now but maybe my neighbor will or maybe you know maybe my kids will i've got i've got 5 kids and and my father always said something very influential he says buy land they're not making any more of it <laughs> right so get yeah. it while you can because eventually if if it's there it's going to be developed and it's important to hang on to that agricultural region. You know, uh, I, I have some strong opinions about the, the science and the future of farming as far as hydroponic and aeroponic operations. I think there's a place for them. Uh, and most of that is on the space shuttle. Uh, you know, I think to grow good products that speak to a region, you have to physically engage the region. And that means you have to be in the soil. You hear terroir so much when it comes to wineries, food suffers terroir as well. You know, I mean, the cows you, eat the grass. You take a deposit out of the bank, you gotta put more money in the bank to take care of it.
2: Absolutely. You, know I mean? you gotta feed the soil that feeds the plants that feed you. Yeah. You know? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's obviously that that's a topic we could go on for, for a long for sure. time. No, yes. you bet. Yes. Yeah. But I think what we'll do for now is you know, say, Hey, I mean, the the center's beautiful. If you haven't been out there for a class yet, check out the website.
1: Uh, which is? NYWCC.com. I like to say nywick.com. Mm-hmm. That's the way to remember it.
0: And huge selection of classes happening all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, it, it, this time of the year, when, when college is in session, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays belong to Finger Lakes Community College. But Thursday through Sunday, uh, we run on average of 10 classes in those four days. Uh, so there's always something from baking and pastry through, uh, you know, uh, cooking fundamentals and knife skills.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. which... Another great thing to teach people. Absolutely. It makes cooking so much more enjoyable when you're not fumbling around with your utensils.
1: Well, I I, I relate it to efficiency. Um, Professional cooks, chefs... Don't necessarily cook any faster than anyone else. We can only get the pan so hot so quick. You know, you can only do, but what we do is we cook more efficiently. Um, So every time the knife moves, it makes a cut that's important. Instead of fumbling around, you know, there's this constant refining of the process to make it as efficient as possible. Uh, Because especially when, you know, when time is money and you have. A staff that is responsible for prepping and, 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 and fabricating foods, the longer they take to do it, more, more importantly, the, the less efficient they are, then, then, you know, then you're just wasting money at that. And the
0: point. nice thing is it really translates. It translates from, hey, you're teaching the home cook how to make a meal faster and more efficiently for your family. Sure. But at the same time, knife skills come into a huge play when you're talking about doing a five-course dinner with more intricate presentation.
2: Absolutely, for sure, and it's it all, it, and that's something we work with. I guess, we work with uh, a lot of interns throughout the throughout the state and the country. You know, Johnson Wales, CIA, Paul Smith, uh, the community colleges, FLCC, MCC, along those lines. And we bring the students in and really try to show them and you know bring them up and show them you know mm-hmm. different different ways to do things, to diff- almost change their mindset perhaps or enforce their mindset they may
1: have started at school. Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: different ways to prep different ways to be ready for be ready for an onslaught how
1: do you prepare for a friday night exactly you know and and one thing you see especially working with um with Finger Lakes Community College, of course, is you see it a lot of non traditional students mm. that maybe came into it as a second career or came into it late, and sometimes the most difficult thing to do is unteach something uh, so you you model the behavior and and you try to refine it and and when it comes to you know when it comes to culinary school there 's a big textbook and and the instructors. Um, follow the textbook, and I'm an I'm an instructor for Finger Lakes Community College, and we have specific guidelines that we have to follow. And it's because it's it's what teaches the masses the best. But I I always tell the students that their their most difficult day in a college lab. Is nothing compared to what you know when when money's on the line and you're in the industry. If if your chef comes over to you and say no, do it this way. The last thing you do is turn around and say, "Well, this is how they showed me in school." <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know that's just it is just not something you do. Yeah, uh, but it you know my I, I come from a, a lineage of of uh, military. So I grew up. My, my father was a, a staff sergeant, and I was in the navy. My son's a marine, and and I went to uh, uh, my marines graduation ceremony after basic training and in you know the the sergeants go out of their way to explain that look they're 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 basically trained marines you have a skill set but that is going to be refined the rest of your life and that's what happens when you go into an active working kitchen is yes you know which end of the knife is sharp and that's good (laughs) um but there's so much more to learn beyond that and the only way to do it is in the field
0: well, and it gives you that base. I mean, when you're talking about training, when you're talking about your basic training as a marine, you're giving you that base. Exactly. Exactly. Because when you're there, you're not. You're art You are a. You're a robot. You're learning to be the base of what that is. Right. And the same thing in your culinary education, you're learning to be the base of what that is. But when you become your own, when you when you have to think for yourself, when you become mm-hmm. creative, when you become the educator, when you become everything else, it's where you advance all of those basis and you get to be you get to show hey this is the result of this.
2: That's what I and that's I when, the, when the
0: training comes into play.
2: I tell the students, you know, um culinary school culinary training shows you what to do. Actually doing it shows you what
1: not to do. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah yeah no you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, and being a lifetime learner is is what's what's critical uh you know to 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 go to school or in in my case to spend um, you know a childhood and early adulthood in the in the industry and and learn the training that way still puts you on par with okay, good, now I can tie an apron around my waist and I can hold a knife and mm-hmm. and I finally know how to chop an onion right um, but if you're not prepared to always step up your game and always be either you know reading a uh, reading a text, reading a cookbook uh finding and, and I say this cautiously finding information on the web because there's a whole lot of bad ideas on the internet it's very dangerous yeah so and- but When you find those respected sources, use them and learn them. And once you've learned those, go learn more because you're never going to know it all. Right. You know, there's no, there's no graduation from this career. You're in it. And every day, if you're not learning something new, then you're holding yourself back.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a good point, though, is that there's amazing information on the internet. There's people who are dedicated to giving you the absolute best information for free that you've never seen anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... There is also stuff where if you're watching two minute YouTube videos to try to learn how to cook, yeah, this is not how to do it. This right. is this is not the best way. You need to understand why.
1: Oh, the the silly little social media blurbs that are thirty second long, and mm-hmm. you know, and it's like dump this, do this, stir this. It's like oh, it's not quite that simple, but it's also not quite cooking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not accomplishing anything right here.
0: Um, but when when I see, yeah, I have a few books sitting in my thing that are cookbooks. Very few. But the guys that I love to read mm-hmm. you know when i when I read the recipes, they tell me why
1: why is critical yeah how how is what the YouTube video shows you yeah um, why is what a chef can explain to you you know why is <clears throat> is what an instructor can explain to you um, you know, understanding the nuances of being able to flip an egg in a pan without breaking the egg, you need that why You need to understand why the pan is designed the way it is and why the yolks need to be positioned in this way and, and it's why, why, why that's that's my favorite question to answer in any class is why. And it's not because I told you to, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that that worked with college kids. But, yeah. um, you know, but for the public, when when they start asking why, it means they're engaged and they're interested in what you're teaching them.
0: Yeah. So, well, I think we're going to close out. But let's let's talk for a minute before we close out about what's coming up at the New York Wine and Culinary Center. What kind of interesting things people have to look forward to. And obviously this is a small section and you really need to check out the website to see the events that are coming up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's one thing. So nywcc.com we're on I think we're on all the social media outlets as yep. well. Um, and and Chef Andrew and I drift around with with radio interviews and stuff like that as often as we can to push what we do at the center, because there are so many things. You can always go to Upstairs Bistro and have a, have a wonderful meal. That, that's a guarantee, lunch and dinner. Uh, pretty soon we'll be heading into our, our seasonal hours. Right now it's still seven days a week, mm-hmm. uh, foods, food's on the menu. Uh, classes happen Thursday through Sunday. That's, that's the stuff we do every single day of our lives, and it's, it's wonderful. So make time for that. But, I mean, some, some dates of note, and Andrew, I think you have the paper. One of, yeah. one of, one of the big things coming up, are are these these brewmaster brew dinners and these winemaker dinners and so what what are the next couple that are coming up? Uh, the next the next uh, brewmaster dinner we have coming up is one of the farm dinners I spoke
2: of. It's with Maplestone Farm and Nedlow Brewery at Maplestone farm. So We'll be featuring showcasing a six course dinner with the food truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on uh, October fifteenth. Uh, the next. Uh, Followed by that, we'll be working with Finger Lakes Distilling, mm-hmm. partner with Finger Lakes Distilling to do a do a six course dinner. You see, uh, you'll be able to sh- showcase their spirit as well as a cocktail form, and then you get the entree uh, or the the food paired along with that. And um, <clears throat> another big fun event coming up is the uh, New York State Craft Brewers Holiday Release. That's on November fifth, and it'll be about we're looking upwards to thirty different breweries from around the state uh, going to be at the center. Uh, throughout the property we'll have food trucks there we'll have music we'll have uh beer centric foods like uh Josef Brunner's sausages uh you know pretzels are showcasing cabbage of course you know that time of year absolutely you can't go wrong with beer and
1: uh yeah yeah the uh the the craft brewers uh thing is kind of cool this is actually this the second event that we've done that features a vip section Okay, mm. so this is what's really cool. They're expecting 30, you said. Around 30, I R- think. Roughly I think we've breweries. got 15, 20 signed up now. There's going to be a tasting tent in the parking lot. You know, demos. You can come in and see how pretzels are made. It's actually easier Beautiful. than you think. So come in and learn how to make a pretzel.
0: And there's nothing quite like a really fresh-made pretzel. Oh, they're the best. They're the Such best. Such a I, good product.
1: I did that one because I believe you should never trust a skinny chef. So I love pretzels. <laughs> uh absolutely love them. And if, if you could see me right now. I you, trust you, you implicitly. You, yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Look like you spent a lifetime in this industry. Yeah. Yes, I did. Um, but uh, yeah, the 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 cool thing about the VIP is is you buy a ticket for the VIP. It costs a little more, but uh, we were talking about this before the podcast. And, yeah. and you're saying if there's a VIP option for anything, sign up for it because you're going to get more one-on-one. You're going to get some you know some extra tchotchke. and you're going to get quality time with the brewers in this situation.
0: Yeah, and having gone to some of these beer events, um, you know, I went to the to the Brewers Fest as part of the Real Beer Week. I went to the. Uh, Uh, the Real Beer Week one, and then the Brewers' Fest. There was the one held by Rohrbach at the public market. Um, You can go after, but when you're... You know, these kind of things are very well attended. Sure. You really want to make sure you get a chance to sample as much as you want so you get to the brewers you want to get to. And, you know, if you get to... Um, if there's something fancy that day, you want to be able to try the limited edition stuff that people are putting out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what's going to happen for the VIP section. It's an hour before. So what's, what's kind of nice about this, and, and personally... As as somebody who we spend a lot of time working these events, uh, you know when they start at six o'clock on a Friday, by the time nine o'clock rolls around, there's a lot of people that are kind of leaning against the posts, and and you know <laughs> it's it's a Friday night and it's it gotten a little happen. late, and so they've maybe overindulged a little bit. I think what I really enjoy about this is it's three to six on a Saturday. Oh, beautiful! So it's earlier in the day. The VIP uh, uh, experience is from two to three, but if you come as a VIP, I think uh, the tickets are uh, I think the tickets are sixty. Uh, for the VIP, and then uh, thirty-five for the the general admission. Forty-five if you pay at the door. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're talking about thirty breweries. Thirty breweries pouring two ounce samples. You know, that's uh, that's half a gallon of beer if you only taste through <laughs> one of them each. It's kitchen math. You just got to do that real quick. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a value. You're not, you know, and, and you're getting you're going to get food samples. You're going to get an education. Uh, you can sit down in the, the demo theater or we'll have things going on in our, our Jade Range hands-on kitchen as well. I mean, one thing the center does is very well is we put on large-scale events really well. We love the intimate stuff and we love the classroom settings. But when our boss lets the reins go and says y'all just take over the building and do whatever you want to do. That's when you want to show up because you're going to be part of something special.
0: Yeah, because I mean, I, like I said, I've been to these events and it kind of it's it's one note focus on the beer, which is great. You know, New York State has a great beer scene right now. Sure, not just Rochester. I mean, Buffalo's amazing places. Oh yeah, Syracuse is really popping right now. And checking out all the stuff from around the area is one enlightening to see what is available, but. Those things are really focused on one part. Well, exactly. But then you're saying, I mean, at the same time, you're paying the same price at these other places, but here you're getting to, you're getting an education, you get to go yeah. do a class yeah. almost, you get to go listen to a presentation.
1: Oh, sure, exactly. And, and you know what, the one thing I think, that because we've been so intimately involved in this, the one thing that's kind of neat about this is a lot of these breweries are bringing beers that they are making exclusively for this event. So it's not like you're gonna roll up in there and get the stuff they're selling down the street. I mean, they may have that as well, and that's fantastic. But a lot of these breweries are providing custom brews just for this event. So if you don't show up and taste it, you're not gonna to get to taste it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which I, I find really fascinating. Some <laughs> of the odd stuff, you know, people are doing, you know, the big sours, people sure, are doing right. trying to do those fancy IPAs. Yeah. That we've been enjoying throughout the uh, podcast, absolutely <laughs> delightful. By the way, not, we can't
1: can't talk about them, though because they're not from New York, but yeah. uh, they're they're tasty. Yeah, exactly. I love the glasses. By the way, yeah, yeah so very I appreciate cool. that. Yeah,
0: um, so I think we're wrapping up. Um, right. Let's get the final plugs in. Um, so, nywcc.com, yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's the big one, and find it on social media.
1: Yeah, and on social media, you're going to find us under NYWCC, or you're going to find us New York Wine and Culinary Center. Uh, it, it all depends, you know, because Facebook hasn't truncated all their names yet, so they're still using long longhand. Uh, but everybody else, I think, is at NYWCC, uh, and uh, you know, the, I, I guess the the you know the finishing plugs are watch for those winemakers and brewmasters dinners. We're doing a couple a month at this point, yeah, we've aren't been we? Doing about two a month. Yeah, it's
2: yeah. a winery So I do a winery in a distillery, a winery in a brewery. You know, to showcase showcase, I get everyone you know let everyone get a turn. So yeah. yeah.
0: And yeah. I do have to say, I mean, having been to a few of them, really engaging, a lot of great execution on the meals. The pairings are fantastic. Well worth going to. It's a great evening out. Yeah. And yeah. from Rochester, a short drive away. Make sure you leave a little bit early for the traffic. Yeah, watch that 490 <laughs> stuff.
1: We we did okay. We were about five minutes late. But yeah, uh, yeah it's I mean, from, from your door here to our place, 35 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're on 490, you're only 20 minutes away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So definitely check it out. It's a great time. So I want to thank uh, Chef Jeff and uh, Chef Andrew for coming out today. It's a Our great pleasure.
1: time. Absolutely. Thanks for having us.
0: Absolutely. And um, I'm at Stromey on Twitter and Instagram. And I'll have said this in the intro, but if you got this far and you haven't voted for me for Best Podcast in Rochester, please do so. I'm on the final four in the city newspapers poll. So I appreciate the support already. And uh, get out the vote for me.
1: There you go. We'll push you over the top. Sweet. Yeah.
0: Thanks, guys. Thank you. See ya.